Well, I, I'm really glad that I woke up yesterday morning. I'm mean, not just that I woke up, but that I <laughs> woke up in time to come to the men's breakfast. Um, I forgot the last two Saturdays, or prior two Saturdays, and I could have been here. And uh, so I set my alarm two hours early. Marilyn's like, really? <laughs> and then, but I was awake anyway. So I, I was able to turn it off before it woke her up. And um, it was really great to be here. I have to say, though, all those years that Dave Ainge and I would get here like at oh dark 30 so we could have men's breakfast at 5.30 for the guys that had to drive across the trestle and go to work. And I thought, well, this is genius. They have it on Saturday and they're late risers because it's not until 8 o'clock. <laughs> Why didn't we do that? Any, at any rate, um, 8 o'clock every Saturday morning, just downstairs here, uh, this last uh, one, I don't know if Tim does this every time, but he cooked. I mean, he was in there in the kitchen doing all, is he the one that does that? Wow. That was his servant. He's a servant right now. Tim, for the next three Sundays, is preaching up at Skokomish uh, just before he head on over Stevens Pass. Um, Tony and Kathy Bittner are our village missionaries in Skok, and they um, love going on cruises. So they sent their greetings to the rest of us village missionaries from a balcony halfway across the Pacific Ocean. Thank you very much. They're on their way to Hawaii on a cruise ship. I'm, I've been out to sea. I'm not really sure that that's the vacation I'd want. Of course, it was up in the Bering Sea, and that's a little bit different. You know, um, but at the same time, I, I just really appreciate Tim. Last Sunday, he was down in Morton, Washington, filling the pulpit there. When he gets done up in Skokomish, he's going back down to Morton. But during the rest of the time, he's doing the assistant pastor thing here, and I really, I really appreciate him. And John Stuckey did such a great job leading. Do you do that every Saturday morning? Yes? Is this a Yes. What? Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't get that. This I understand. <laughs> um, so he did a great job, and it was really neat because he, you know, welcomed everybody's input. There was always time for it, and had a great group of guys there. I say all this for you guys who have nothing to do Saturday morning. This is not one of those 5.30 deals. I don't blame you for not coming to those. But this is 8 o'clock. You can do it. And it, we didn't get done until 9.30? 9.30. And so we had a great time of, of fellowship. Ken Spear, he brings his version of a devotion to it, which was this long page of dad jokes that were truly horrible. I mean, they were just... <laughs> How many of you know that I had a, an AFib incident? So that's been kind of a thing that was going on. Um, and then I come to find out, well, everybody has that. So it's not the big deal I thought it was. I thought it was you know, a big deal. <clears throat> when we were in California, <clears throat> excuse me, at the California conference outside of Fresno, um, up in the mountains, and it was Monday night, June 6th. And my cell phone didn't work because we were like into the road, Camp Calvin or something like that, way up in the, the Redwoods. And um, 
my phone didn't work. Um, I didn't know what to do. But like at 11.30 at night, I, my heart was just racing. I knew what it was already. I knew it was AFib. And I knew it was having a rapid ventricular response. The bottom part of my heart was wanting to keep up with the electrical storm going on in the upper part. And it was trying really hard. And then it would just give up and quit for a minute. And then it would try really hard again. And I didn't know what to do. Um, didn't want to try to drive in the dark back down that windy road and somehow get to Fresno. And from what I could understand, the hospitals didn't have a great rating anyway. Um, so <laughs> it kept me awake at night. And um, finally, after about four hours of this, my heart did not stop. It, it finally converted to a normal sinus rhythm, and, and I was able to ride that out. It, I didn't know what to do, you know, but I prayed. And uh, it happened again August 3rd. And I really wasn't sure, well, what do I do? I'm back, now I'm back in Missouri. And um, do, I, do I go into the emergency room or not? So I did. I went in and, and um, after about four hours, it just converted on its own. I said, after four hours, $7,000, it converted on its own. <laughs> it's, it's crazy what they charge you to lay in a bed in their room, you know, and uh, they didn't even have music on. And, but they did give me a warm blanket. Maybe that was what cost so much. And then it happened again the 25th of August, and I'm like, well, this is getting old. And I went back in there, and uh, they wanted me to see a cardiologist, so I saw a cardiologist, and... Uh, he wanted me to go on blood thinners, and I said, well, we're going to be back out in Washington State. I'd just soon see a cardiologist there. I mean, I was trying to do everything I could to him haul around and stall. So the Lord said, well, we can humble you some more. And so on September 5th, like a week later, you know, I do this again, so I'm back in the ER again. And this time, it didn't come out of AFib. It stayed in AFib. They were able to get my heart rate, though, down to 50 and it even dropped lower than that, so that wasn't great. But at least I wasn't in AFib. And, uh, and then they told me, yeah, you should go ahead and go on the blood thinners, and you should have the echocardiogram, which is actually scheduled for, you know, later today, because I got out at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I say all that to say I haven't had it since then, but supposedly uh, I will end up having a procedure out here, you know, where they put the wire up in your heart and burn it. Sounds... That doesn't sound, that's like, you know, oh, your leg's broken. Let me hit that with a sledgehammer. That was, how, do, how does that work, you know? But at any rate, I say all that just to say that um, it's been a long time since I've been able to sing for you guys. Now I don't know where that little, um, he said, don't go off the carpet, but I have to. I have to get my little thing here. I... I left my uh, favorite guitar back in Missouri because I didn't plan on doing this. But I, I play the guitar a lot, just sit there in my chair, and I sing. Um, I don't, you know, sing in churches that much anymore. I used to be able to do that here all the time. But um, I sing for an audience of one. I sing to the Lord. That's kind of how I do my devotions. And I thought, well, you know what? I'd like to share that song with you, even though... All I have is my, my toy travel guitar, um, but we're, we're going we're gonna to try to work this together because this song is um, important to me, 
it's kind of my worship to the Lord, but it's, it's about the event without saying AFib or anything like that. I laid awake praying to you Oh, to pray the whole night through when you heard me Midnight hours I pulled my heart out And all my fears Watered all my prayers With tears And you heard me In the midnight hours I didn't know what to do but I called out to you And you carried me through those midnight hours My heart was heavy and my soul was weak Didn't have any words to speak But you carried me through those midnight hours And that song just goes through my mind. Because I wanted to share it with you, not sing it necessarily to you, but share it to you. Because 
that, that's part of my worship to God because God carries me through the midnight hours. You, you ever wake up in the middle of the night just beset with the troubles of life? Yeah, and, and you don't even have the words to speak? Yeah. He knows. He cares. I, I'm not supposed to leave the carpet, but Marilyn, I think I left my Bible back there, didn't I? <laughs> the magic carpet. And my phone. <laughs> In case someone calls. <laughs> I, yeah, I am serious, actually. I, nobody's going to call. Nobody's going to call. Uh, in your Bibles, yeah, I do want my phone because it has a, a verse. Oh, you can leave it there. That's all right. Turn with me in your Bibles. Actually, I'm not supposed to get off the carpet. I've got it. This is hard to do. All right. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. I get to hear a lot of preachers. And I have been a teacher for a long time, you know. Teacher in the Bible school, um, teacher, well, that's, Bill Whalen, Pastor Bill Whalen, my pastor, told me that was my gift, teaching. I didn't think so, but he thought it was, and I think he was probably right. And because that's what I've done all along is, is teach people, equip people for ministry, teach them, and so it's real hard for me to step out of that when I'm listening to somebody preach. I don't do um counts anymore and stuff like that um, because I'm guilty of um and 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 him and ha. But I do, I, I do kind of listen and see how they're doing and everything like that, and I'm trying to break myself of that habit. And here's, and, and I don't know, maybe you have that habit too, not because you're a teacher, but just because you've been going to church so long and it's easy to just sit and listen to some guy, you know, and... And you look at the person, and you're listening for, to the person, and we're just doing church, you know, because it's our habit. We do church. We come to the, the place. We say, I went to church, as though church is something you can go to. You know you can't go to the church? You are the church, right? So either you're a part of the body of Christ, you're part of the church because of your relationship with Jesus, and so wherever you go, he's with you, right? You're part of the church. So we've got to be careful with our language. But it can happen to us. We can come to church, we can listen to a sermon, and it just kind of, it doesn't even go in one ear and out the other. It kind of hits our head and slides up over the top and just meanders on out there. And we don't remember so much. I was, this is a little bit of an aside, I was shocked at one of the young men, he's not, no longer young, but the very first Mother's Day sermon I preached was months after we had gone to Arago, and I'm a brand new freshly minted pastor, and I preached on Rizpah for Mother's Day which is a really gruesome story. It's not the best for Mother's Day. All the mothers were aghast, and Marilyn didn't think I should ever do that again. But I happened to mention that on a Facebook post um, a little while back, and one of the young men from that church says, I remember that sermon. And I'm shocked, partly because it was about Rizpah and everybody's jaw was dropped. But it, it was, 
most of the time, I don't even remember my own sermons, so I don't expect you to. But then I got to thinking, that's not really right. That's, that's not what we should be doing. So this is what I've decided to do. Not only am I going to listen to my own sermon, but I want you to listen to God's word and see, ask God, just say, God, just show me something that is just for me, something that you want me to know to pay attention to. Just, it doesn't have to be the whole thing. You don't, you don't have to take notes about the whole thing, though you do have a place to take notes. So if you want to use that, go ahead and write down that one thing that God shows you. Ask the Lord. Say, listen intentionally, I guess is the word they use today, right? Be intentional about it. So be intentional about this. You want to hear from God's Word. So we're, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. Um, might backtrack a little just uh, in dialogue for, or monologue from me uh, and might jump ahead a little bit into four, but basically that's where we're at. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity that you've given me to stand before your people and open your word. Um, the sinner that I am, but thank you for the fresh mercy every morning. Thank you for your grace that is renewed, and not just day by day, but it, it seems like hour by hour, and in my case, minute by minute. Um, thank you for that. I pray that you would speak to each one of us by your Holy Spirit, per the promise of Jesus, to open your word to us. You be our teacher, uh, not me, you, and I want to hear from you too. Thank you so much that we have your written word. Now I just pray that you take that written word and drill it down inside of us and do your work. Divide us uh, right down into the joints and the marrow and the innermost part of our being. For I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Here we are in Philippians chapter 3, and it starts with the word, I don't know what your translation says. I have the New King James Version here. It's, it's not the end-all, be-all. I mean, the ESV or even John Adams, the director of Village Missions. You know what he uses? So they, they kind of tease him about it. They say it's John's authorized version. Um, he uses the NLT, the New Living Translation. Which I'm like, yeah, is that really a translation? You know, it's like the living Bible, only it's new. And um, so I talked to him once about it. He says, you know, like in bibliology and how to study the Bible, and you get to the end and you paraphrase it, the passage, he says, most of the time I find if I was going to paraphrase it, it would come out pretty close to the NLT, and it's easy for people to understand. So if you have NLT, if you have the message, yeah, maybe not. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, I use them all. I look at all these different translations and stuff like that just because it kind of sometimes I, I need to get, you know, out of the ditch that I've maybe fallen in where I'm just so used to reading the same thing that I'm not really paying attention, you know, get down a page and you realize, oh, yeah, I've, what was that? And you got to backtrack. Anyway. Here in Philippians chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1, the very first word in mine is finally. What is it in yours? Is it finally? Yeah. So whenever a preacher says finally, what does that mean? 
No, it means they're just getting started. <laughs> Paul's a preacher. I mean, look at this. I mean, finally, and I'm looking over here and I'm saying, yeah, there's another page and a half or more to go. Finally, but it, it actually, if you look this up in, in the Greek, it's not just finally. It could be translated, and furthermore, which that is kind of preacher speak for, okay, settle in. But I don't want you to just settle in and not to pay attention, because this is really getting to the nuts and the bolts of where Paul's heart was. It's kind of amazing. He ha had sorrow. If, if you have been reading this I hope you have in, in preparation for coming Sunday morning. Um, we, it's really hard for me to go through everything, and so I told you I'm just going to be pulling out a few things from each chapter that are important to me, and um, I hope you've, you read that last part of chapter 2 where he talks about Epaphroditus. And uh, Epaphroditus had come from Philippi to, to bring Paul some stuff, uh, food, clothing, books, whatever, I don't know. I just know that he needed sustenance because he was under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. Being a Roman citizen, he had appealed to Caesar. To Caesar he went. Uh, God had a plan for this because Paul was actually able to preach to Caesar's household. People were, of Caesar's family were getting saved, you know. I mean, this guy will not shut up. He keeps telling us about Jesus. Well, people got saved. It was an amazing thing. But at any rate, Epaphroditus has almost died. He got sick. And um, it says that he was near to death, and, and it's actually a compound of two Greek words that means near, and the other one means near too. So he was like near, near death. And then he gets down to the end of this chapter, um, to, and in verse 30 he says, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. And, and the word that's used there means just right up to the brink, right up to the edge, ready to, ready to die. But God had mercy on him. And Paul says, he did so lest I would have sorrow upon sorrow. So this wasn't like Club Med. It wasn't like, oh, he's under house arrest. That, that's not so bad. You know, ankle bracelet and all. No, it wasn't like that. This was not a pleasant experience for him. And he was in this dire straits in a sense of thinking, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. I would love to come back and see you Philippian Christians. This uh, letter, by the way, he sends by Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus, who's homesick, can go back to Philippi, can share uh, with the Philippians the state of the Apostle Paul, but they can also be comforted by the fact he didn't die. He is here. He's with us. And Epaphroditus was homesick. He wanted to go home anyway. So Paul is left there with Timothy, and he says, and, and I will send Timothy too, and, but I'm hoping that I will get to come, but I don't know, because I, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and I might die here. And, and the death that he would suffer, remember, as a Roman citizen would be having his head chopped off. But finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious... But for you, it is safe. Sometimes we need to keep hearing the same thing over and over and over. We need peat, peat, and, and then repeat. We, we need to, that's why we have the communion. Why, why do we need to do that? We did that before. We did that once. 
Well, we should do it often because it's a reminder. And the same simple gospel. I mean, don't you need to hear quite often that his mercies are new every morning? Yeah, I need to hear that one every morning. Don't you need to hear that God loves you and that his love for you was demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ? That while you were still a sinner, Romans 5.8 says, Christ died for you. He paid the penalty for your sin. Don't we need to keep hearing that, that basic thing? And so he says, it's, it's not tedious for me to, to do this. And, and for you, it is safe. You need to keep hearing the same message over again. But he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. That's kind of an odd turn of phrase, you know. Um, I like dogs. Dogs, we like dogs. We have dogs for pets. You have to understand, in this Eastern culture, they didn't have dogs for pets. Dogs roamed the streets in packs, and they ate garbage. They ate whatever. I mean, to call somebody a dog was a great insult. And in fact, the Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs. But here, the Apostle Paul is referring to the Jews, those of the circumcision who were following him, and causing trouble in all of these churches that he had planted. They were coming along and saying, well, that's all fine and dandy. Yeah, you can, you can uh, believe in Jesus, and all, but you still need to follow the law of Moses, and you need to be circumcised. And they were saying this to the Gentiles. The, the Jews were already circumcised, the males. But they're, they're saying this, and here's what Paul says concerning that. Beware of the dogs. He's calling these Jewish Judaizers dogs. He's turning the phrase back on their heads and saying, beware of them. They are evil workers. Why are they evil workers? Because they're trying to bring Gentile Christians underneath the law of Moses. Beware of the mutilation. And it, it is, he's taking and saying their circumcision is nothing more than a mutilation of the flesh. He goes on to say, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Has nothing to do with the flesh. The mark of whether you belong to Christ, whether you're in the family of God, is not a mark in your flesh. It's neither circumcision nor the clothes you wear, nor the how many crosses you wear on your neck, how many Bibles you carry under your arm. It's whether or not you have been brought into the family of God by the Spirit of God. Are you born again of the Spirit? Did the Spirit speak life to a dead person who couldn't hear that was you. You were dead in your sin and trespasses. Did the Spirit speak to you and wake you up? And the first thing you realize is that, wow, I am a sinner, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, and I do need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. You didn't come to that on your own. Nobody comes to that on there. They don't come to it because some preacher had the, just the right words to say or somebody that took an evangelism explosion knew how to, you know, make the sale. You know, that's not the way it works. 
Dead people don't hear. They have to be brought alive by the Spirit of God. So if you find yourself here this morning, you didn't come here on your own. You might think you did, but you didn't. And if you find yourself wanting to know God, you didn't come to that on your own either. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Remember that great promise verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who has begun this good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And remember that great promise in chapter 2, that God is working in us to both will, to desire, and then to do of his good pleasure. So we have no confidence in the flesh, he says at the end of verse 3. And then he goes on to list his pedigree, his accomplishments, if you will. We, as a people, I think oftentimes, um, and I'm talking about us as Christians, put too much confidence in degrees and pedigrees and things like that, you know? You say, oh, no, I don't think we do. Oh, yeah, we do. If someone comes into our midst and they are a doctor of theology, oh, and they want that title, we say, oh, well, let's listen to Dr. So-and-so as though the words coming out of his mouth are more important than the words that are coming out of the Bible. But what if it was just an ordinary person? What if it was just a farmer guy? And he's, a, he's not even a, a lay minister. Not only is he not clergy, not only does he not have a degree, but he's not even a lay minister. He's, he's not an elder. He's not even a deacon. He's just some guy. Some guy, but he has the word of God. And what if he even has a speech impediment? And, and what if he really doesn't even know the Bible all that well? Do you think you could get anything from it? Sure you could. Now, that's not to say that you can't get something from the doctor of theology who's preaching too. I'm not to say that. But in God's economy has nothing to do with pedigree. Look what Paul says concerning his pedigree. Starting with verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He claimed that he was blameless. But, that's quite a pedigree. He's putting himself, he's matching himself to the Judaizers who were coming in and disturbing the Christians at Philippi. He's heard the report. The report has come back to him with Epaphroditus. And told him what is going on in the church. Paul's not sorrowful because of his situation. He's not sorrowful because he's under house arrest. He's serving Christ. What is breaking his heart is what is happening in this church that he loves. There's division that is taking place in this church. And so he matches his pedigree with theirs, and then he says, verse 7, 
But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Get this, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, which is a very polite way of translating the Greek word. The King James is not nearly as delicate. It calls it dung because that's what the word means. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness which is from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And I want to pause there for a minute. I, you know, <clears throat> to me, everything is about the resurrection of Jesus. If he didn't rise from the dead, this is just another religion, very intricate religion and all the rest of it. And, but if Jesus had died on the cross after saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then they killed him and he stayed dead. I wouldn't want anything to do with Christianity any more than any other religion. In fact, maybe less because it would have been proven to be false, right? That's why the Apostle Paul says to the, first, to the Corinthians in his letter to them in 2 Corinthians, he says, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, then we, speaking of himself and those who are with him, we of all men are most miserable. Why? Because he lost everything for a lie. It all comes down to the resurrection of Christ. Can we really believe it's true? And one of the greatest proofs for me of the resurrection of Jesus and that the word of God is telling the truth is this man's life right here. The guy who had it all. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was on his way up. He had letters from the priests to put to death Christians. He was an agent of the Sanhedrin. He was moving on up in that Jewish political, religious political sphere. Why in the world would he throw all of that away and become a pariah? To lose everything, to have anything that he had going for him stripped away. I'll tell you why. The road to Damascus. On his way to put Christians in prison and to put them to death, he has a meeting with the resurrected Jesus. That's in the book of Acts. Everything changed for him. He was converted. The conversion of Paul is this great proof of the resurrection. This guy was there when Jesus was crucified. This guy knew the stories that the body was no longer in the tomb. But this guy was so zealous for his religious, his, his maybe it wasn't just his faith in Judaism. Maybe it was even jealous for his own position and power and prominence 
that he was doing everything he could to persecute those who were believers in Jesus. And yet, he has this amazing experience. And then he writes over half of our New Testament. And for him, the most important thing to know was not how to live the good life, not how to, especially not how to have your best life here. But it was Jesus rose from the dead and nothing else matters. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything that is happening in my life must be seen through that lens. So if it seems like bad things are happening to me, if it seems like eh, they're going to kill me, well, to depart and be with Christ is far better. I want to be found in him. I want to know him. The word there, know, comes from, it's not, it's not just gnosis. It's not just head knowledge. It's gnosko. It's heart knowledge, knowledge that's gained by experience. As I was at the men's breakfast yesterday, and I was sitting this end of the table, and Josh was sitting down at the other end of the table, Josh Whelan, and um, I think something came up, too, about, you know, spending time with Christ or getting to know him. I just know that everything kind of went out of my mind except this one thought. Years ago, is Josh here? He might not even. Oh, you are. Okay. Well, I hope this doesn't embarrass you. Um, but Josh said, do you ever just hang? And I was like, no, I never hang. Because, you know me, I'm like on 150% maybe to 145% when I get tired, and just constantly going. I look back at all the stuff that I was doing, Contenders Bible School, and not just this church, but other churches, conferences, all the rest of that, trying to be a pastor, trying to do all this, and diving. Um, but that was my respite. And I was too busy. And I, I've thought about that so many times. I missed what Josh was saying. He says, do you ever just... Hang. I'm not really even sure what he meant by that, but I got to thinking about that. Sometimes that what, that's what we just need to do. We just need to hang out with one another, not to do anything, not to be busy, not with an agenda, but just, just to hang, right? And then I got to thinking, hey, wait a minute. There, there's something bigger here. We need to hang out with God. When, when you spend time with God, you do spend time with God, right? Do you go to God with a list, with an agenda? Okay, God, here are the hoops I want you to jump through. Here's the way things should work in the world and the way things should work in my life actually put my life at the top of the list in the world down here. These are the things I want. In Jesus' name, over and out. <laughs> have, have you ever been thankful that your kids, your little kids, just finally shut up? <laughs> Why? 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 Can I help? Can I help? Can I help? Why? Why? And then finally they go to sleep. And they're there in your arms. And they're just hanging there. 
Do you think God ever feels that way? Oh, I thought he'd never quit. (laughs) Maybe we should hang with God. And then, of course, my thoughts right away went to this passage, and I'm thinking, sometimes hanging with Christ is hanging on a cross. And I thought about the thief who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he could say. What an amazing thing. Just hanging with Jesus. Sometimes hanging with Jesus doesn't get us out of our troubles. Sometimes we're on a cross. Now, it wasn't a cross for Paul. It was never going to be a cross for Paul. As a Roman citizen, he couldn't be crucified. He had to be beheaded. But yet at the same time, the principle was there, the idea of knowing him. Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There is power in the resurrection of Jesus. This was the central driving truth in the Apostle Paul's life. It has to be in mine, and it it has to be in yours, too. Where's the fear of death if the power of Jesus' resurrection is in your life? You believe it. You know it. He knew it. He didn't just, oh, yeah, I believe that. No. He knew it because he had seen the resurrected Jesus. He'd seen him crucified. There's an empty tomb, and now he sees him. Well, that gave him power to live as a Christian. You do not have power in yourself to live as a Christian. You can take the Sermon on the Mount and say, okay, well, I'll apply that. I'll try to do that. You think you'll be able to do it in your own strength? Uh Uh-uh. You can try. In fact, you should try. Do try so that you can see that you need the power of the resurrection. I want to know him, have this experiential knowledge, not a head knowledge. I know all about him, and that means nothing. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, the koinonia. And that word Fellowship doesn't mean coffee and cookies after a meeting. What does it mean? Participation. I want to participate in his sufferings. What will bring you to the place where you will ever say, I want to suffer like Jesus? The power of his resurrection you got to start there. we got all these false preachers on TV and all these false preachers in megachurches that are preaching the word of faith movement, which is not the word of faith. It is speak a word and command things into existence. And God's highest desire is that you be blessed and that you be wealthy and that you be happy and you have your best life here, which means... You had your best life here. Now what's left? What's left? If you have your best here, what is left when you die? 
Anybody want to say it? Hell. Hell. Burning lake of fire. The rich man and the beggar. They both die. And the Lord says to the rich man who is in torment, you already had your best life. And Paul could say, I want to participate in his sufferings being conformed to his death. There was no way he could die like Jesus died. And he wasn't really, I mean, we shouldn't have a death wish. I'm not saying that. But conform to how did Jesus die? Kicking and screaming all the way. They had to drag him up to Calvary, right? No. He took it as from his father's hand. But remember the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane? Don't think this was something that he thought, oh, this will be great, this will be fun. This was horrible. And knowing what he was going to, he prayed to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's okay for you to pray this too. And I'm sure that there was probably times in Paul's life where he did, Father, if there's any other way, take this away from me. Don't want to have to drink this cup. It wasn't the physical death that he was concerned with. You know what it was? You know what the cup is? The cup is the wine press of the wrath of God, filled with the filth and the sin and the judgment for it of the world. Your sin was in the cup. My sin was in the cup. He didn't want to drink it because he is and always will be the Holy One. And no wonder his soul revolted at it. And yet he willingly went to his death on the cross and took the wrath of God so that you and I will never have to. Because, and only because, we have put our faith in Jesus, we have called to him like the thief on the cross did and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That guy believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And this is what saves us. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You said you told us that last Sunday. It is not tedious for me to repeat these things to you. It is safe for you. This is the only way we can be saved is to accept the righteousness that comes from God by faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We're never going to be righteous enough to get saved by living out what we think is the Christian life because we will mold it to fit what we can do. 
if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. And he goes on to say, and you're going to have to read the rest of this yourself, but I'm not there yet. Paul says, I haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. We're not where we're going to be. We have this confidence that the one who began a good work in us will continue the work right until the day of Jesus Christ. That is my confidence. I am not where I am going to be. But I know that when he presents me before the throne of his father, I will be perfect at that point. The, all the sin, all the failure will be wiped away. Yours too. You won't have to go up to people in heaven and say, you know, I just wanted to say, I'm, I'm really sorry. Because you won't remember it, and they won't remember it. All the tears will be wiped away. I'm longing for that day. I'm looking forward to that day. And I think... This guy here was driven by that. Do you have stuff in your past that is still there that just eats at you? And you wish you'd never done that. You wish you'd never been through that. You wish you hadn't hurt other people. But there's no way to undo it. You can't go back in time. You can't. You can't undo things. But don't you wish you could, but you carry it? Let it humble you. Let it show you that apart from Christ, that's what you are. The devil accuses me all the time, and I say, you're right. Apart from Christ, that's what I am. That's what I'd be. But the power of resurrection is changing me. Paul carried something that probably none of you carry. I don't see any murderers out here. Or, well, I don't hope not. Um, <laughs> or murders of Christians. But that's what he was. He said, this is a faithful saying. Everybody needs to accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I'm the chief. I'm the worst of the worst. He carried that until the day he went to heaven. He hadn't attained... But he was on his way, and I, he said, I press on to work the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, is there a promise in here? Oh, yes, there is. The promise is that we're going to get brand new bodies. You'll have to read that in the rest of this. We have a citizenship in heaven. How many of you value your citizenship? How many of you have dual citizenship? Anybody? How many of you have your citizens of like three different places? I got, I got three different citizenships. I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Which one do you think is the most important to me? Which one is the most important to you of your citizenships? You've got Canadian citizenship. You've got U.S. citizenship. You have citizenship in heaven, which is important. 
You know, it's a shame, but today, there are many who, like Esau, for a bowl of pottage, have sold their birthright. Do you know that story in the Old Testament? Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Think about it. What would you sell your birthright for? The power of the resurrection will keep you from doing that. And then I want to close... Finally, (laughs) no, seriously, finally, verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved, longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved, my joy and my crown. He said something similar to um, the Thessalonican Christians, who were just the next little city over. In fact, after Philippi, he went to Thessalonica. And he, and he said there in, um, I think it's chapter 2 of uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians, he says in verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. So all this pedigree that Paul had, Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee, all the rest of that stuff, that was his pedigree, and it was impressive, really, for a Jew of his day. He says, that's done. You You know what my real crown is? It's you. It's people. And I want to tell you that too. My crown, I would hate to have to wear a golden crown in heaven. Can you imagine? They would have to have a lot of chiropractors there. I would, oh. My crown isn't the CDI and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it isn't. I mean, God did that. My crown isn't that, oh, I was a village missionary, or I had this schooling or that schooling. You, you are my crown. That's why you're so important to Marilyn and I. Your continuance, your steadfastness, don't want you to slip backwards. Don't want you to fall away. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy, my crown, stand fast in the Lord. This church is so important to us. We love you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for raising Jesus from the dead. And thank you so much for putting us on that upward way. We're not looking back at any past accomplishments we had. We're not going to look back at the failures either. They'll, they'll follow us along. 
Thank you for humbling us. Thank you for keeping us mindful of the fact that the only reason that we're saved is because of what Christ did. And I am so looking forward to that wonderful potluck in heaven that we don't even have to bring anything to because you're going to furnish the table. In Jesus' name, amen.